This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Chris Weldon, thanks very much for making a Talk Your Book debut. Really excited to have you uh, on our show for the first time. I thought the best place to start would be to just introduce Magellan and uh, and what you do in, in that organisation. Yeah, sure. I mean, Magellan, thank you, Chris, for having us, first of all. Uh, Magellan's been around since 2007. Uh, managing clients' money. We've got two strategies, really. Uh, a global equity strategy, which is a sort of concentrated portfolio of wonderful businesses we manage to find all over the, the world. And the second strategy is a, a global listed infrastructure um, product doing a very similar thing, just in the infrastructure space. And what uh, what stock did you want to talk about today? So today I thought we'd talk through Intercontinental Exchange, which is quite a mouthful, uh, but it's probably a business that not many people have, uh, have heard of before. So let's, uh, you know, the, the ticker's ICE. Um, maybe let's start with that one. Yeah, let's, uh, I think I'll be happy if we refer to it as ICE going forward too, because Intercontinental seems to uh, stump me up a couple of times. So maybe start with the, the helicopter view. What do, uh, what do ICE do? Yeah, I think probably the best place to start, Chris, is um, break the business into three three sections, the way I like to think about it. Um, the first is they are, you know, they're an operator of global exchanges, really derivative exchanges and clearing houses. So they operate 12 global exchanges around the world, um, six clearing houses associated with those exchanges. So that's really the first bucket. It's really the origin of the business. Uh, the second piece is a large data services business. A lot of data comes out of the uh, the trading that takes place on those exchanges. So there's a nice synergy between those first two businesses. And the third area is a relatively new area that the business has got into through a series of acquisitions, really. Um, and that's the US mortgage technology space. Um, and if we think about all three of those businesses, you know, what's the, the common strategy and the, and the other commonalities across all three of those businesses? I think what's important is that they're all... You know, it's, it's, it's a global provider of financial market infrastructure and the plumbing behind the scenes of financial markets. And that's why it's not a, a brand name that's really familiar to most investors, but it's providing a lot of the infrastructure behind the scenes. And as I mentioned earlier, there's some nice synergy across those businesses where um, a lot of the data that informs the trading and the investment decisions that we all make as market participants um, it actually comes from the exchanges that these uh, businesses run and that um, uh, all that trading and clearing activity generates that data which informs the trading. So there, there, there's a nice uh, synergy between the business. But what, you know, ICE has done successfully for a very long period of time, you know, talking decades now, uh, they have this sort of strategic playbook of uh, organically and inorganically, and we should talk about some of the inorganic growth because that's been really important as well. But they have this approach of uh, converting analog businesses and analog markets into digital networks. And over time, they put more and more content on those digital networks. And that's, you know, that's how really we think about this business today. It's just a series of network businesses. And for a variety of reasons at Magellan, we love networked effect businesses. You know, it's really what provides the economic moat or the competitive advantage behind businesses like um, Visa and MasterCard in the payment space. It's very important for businesses like 
uh, Facebook and, and Alphabet, you know, the, the two US tech platforms, they have network effects at the heart of the business. And there's this great quote from ISIS CEO and founder Jeff Sprecher. And, you know, coming back to what we were talking about earlier with the, the mouthful of intercontinental exchange, he said, if I was starting the company again today, I would probably call it the intercontinental massively scalable network and database <laughs> company because that's what we are. And he says, is what we do is we own and operate these critical financial networks and we bring great technology to those networks and make them more efficient. We put more proprietary content into those networks to facilitate the activity in those networks. And we harness that data uh, that emanates from that activity in those networks to make them stronger. And he's just done that through a series of deals and organic business development in asset class after asset class after asset class. Um, but it's really that network effect that sits behind the logic across all of those different business lines that it's in today. And so when you talk about old analog markets, if you like, that ICE is effectively digitizing, talk through some of perhaps the more esoteric ones that are, are currently uh, fit into that basket so that the reader can really clearly understand what, what you're talking about. Yeah, well, if you sort of go back to the, the genesis, of, genesis of the business, um, really the core of it still today, um, though will probably decrease in significance over time, is the trading and clearing activity that takes place on those derivative exchanges that it operates around the world. And, you know, they used to be very manual, um, a lot of human labor associated with it, those open outcry markets. Um, and over time, just more and more of that trading activity has been digitized. You know, it sort of all happens electronically in servers today versus these open outcry markets that we probably all remember, um, you know, Wall Street and movies like that, where you've got the guys communicating with the hands and things. All that stuff has converted to, to digital trading and digital activity. And they've done that across a series of energy benchmarks. You know, they have the Brent crude contract. That's one of their very important derivative contracts. They're doing the same thing in financial markets and in interest rate futures, in agricultural futures. Um, so all these legacy traditional um, activities, they are converting them gradually to, uh, to digital operations and activities. Um, and they've done that, as I mentioned, in derivatives, they've done that in equities, they own the New York Stock Exchange. Um, now, increasingly, they're doing that in the, the US mortgage technology space, which is, as you can probably imagine, is a very paper heavy, uh, human labor heavy process today that they will look to digitize uh, over time. And they're also in, uh, involved with the, the European carbon price and, and, and those sorts of markets. Do you think it's inevitable that more and more things get financialized and become traded, whether that's different agriculture products, or I mean, we're already seeing in digital assets, is it, is it inevitable that more and more things are, are traded on exchanges like ICE into the future? I think yeah, that'll be their intent. Um, and it won't happen quickly for some of those new contracts. Um, but, you know, they're, they're doing a pretty good job, to be honest, in that environmental, renewable, sustainable space today, bringing more and more of those uh, contracts onto those exchanges. Um, and if this company and the management team is successful, uh, as successful going forward as it has been historically, you'll probably find them um, add different verticals, new contracts onto exchanges, just with the growth in demand from their clients that they see uh, over time. So it, it could branch into any number of areas, but they'll, you know, they've always been pretty good at keeping very close relationships with their customers and just going where their customers take them. And talk me through their financial performance. What's their market cap? What's their earnings? And uh, perhaps walk through their earnings growth over the last 
decade or so, which has been has been really healthy. The uh, market cap of the business about sixty four billion uh, at the moment. On our sort of rough numbers, or even sort of consensus forward numbers, you know, it's sort of trading on a a low twenty times P multiple. Um, it's very cash generative. Um, so that trading business that I mentioned, the exchanges business is incredibly high margin, generates a lot of cash. So the business is actually sort of trading on a, you know, high fours to low 5% free cash flow yield. Um, so that's very healthy sort of free cash flow yield in, in this environment. Um, and, you know, we expect through that uh, derivatives piece and the exchanges piece, that data services piece, and particularly going for this US mortgage technology piece, that this is a business that through the cycle, and of course there's always going to be cycles, but you know, long-term shareholders, we're looking over sort of a five to 10 year period, it's probably capable of mid to high single digit uh, growth in free cash flow per share and earnings per share, such that the total return you're looking at when you add that sort of, let's say 5% free cash flow yield, plus the mid to high single digit growth in the intrinsic value and the earnings of the business, you're sort of getting into that low double digit total shareholder return range going forward, which for a business like this that is so dominant in each of those markets that I mentioned earlier, because of the network effects that we discussed, you know, we think that's a really interesting business, wonderful quality, really, really attractive value as well uh, at the moment. And we'll get into the mortgage side of the business shortly in the, the LMA purchase they made there, but they've got the history of buying businesses, as you touched on earlier. Do you think there are future opportunities that they can easily bolt on? Or do you think the most obvious ones have been done for the time being? I think they've certainly put together uh, a pretty attractive suite of businesses in that mortgage technology space. And that's probably where most of the M&A activity will be um, in the foreseeable future. It, they'll actually probably be fairly quiet on the M&A uh, activity level for the next little while, just because their debt levels are a little elevated post that LMA acquisition. So that was about $11 billion deal. So quite large in the context of that market cap number that I mentioned earlier. So they've got a bit of debt to repay, but once they get those debt levels, you know, back down to targeted um, amounts, uh, I expect mortgage technology is probably where most of that deal activity happens going forward. But this has been an incredibly opportunistic and very practical uh, management team over, uh, over time as well. So Jeff Sprecher, who's the founder and CEO, is a very capable capital allocator. Um, and so if he finds opportunities in other adjacencies or in other business lines, um, we, we back him to, to, to make some sensible and value creative um, acquisitions in, in various spaces. But I think just judged on you know the conversations we've had with the company plus their external commentary, it seems like there is a very, very long runway for capital deployment in that mortgage technology space going well, going ahead. Probably nothing uh, too meaningful in the short term as they get that debt under control. Um, that's probably uh, the most likely source of where that, that, that capital is going to be spent um, uh, going forward. And so you've mentioned Ellie May and the $11 billion acquisition there. What sort of changes could actually occur in the mortgage market over there in the US from uh, ICE piecing together these different mortgage businesses and what the outcomes will be for, for consumers and investors alike? Yeah, well, I think it, at the end of the day, it's just going to be um, digitization, automation, efficiency gains uh, that, that come from potentially the stitching together of a of a sort of technology solution that goes end to end, you know, so from all the way starting at origination, 
um, through clearing and settlement and closing and all those different pieces. And that's what they've done successfully to date is through a series of really three important acquisitions. Ellie May, we, we've discussed, that's the origination piece. You know, it's a platform that handles about 50% of all closed residential mortgages in the United States uh, originated on Ellie May. So very dominant um, business at the top of the, the mortgage funnel. And then they've bought two other businesses, one called Simplifile, um, which is, you know, it's really the, the leading local mortgage registry um, in the United States, covers about 80% of the US population. And so it takes a completed mortgage and it sends it to the local registration office for recording, you know, as part of the closing process. And the final business they bought uh, is a business called MERS, which runs a database effectively. And about 80% of all US mortgages are registered on that MERS database and given what's called a MERS identification number. And that really becomes the golden record for all mortgages in the United States. So, um, you know, it, it's the, the, the industry's system of record or golden record, like I mentioned, for tracking changes in mortgage servicing rights, um, beneficial ownership of loans secured by US residential mortgages and things like that. So they have um, all sorts of areas that they could branch into going forward. When you think about all of the participants that take, um, that, that are involved in US mortgage, um, you, of course, you've got the buyers and the sellers, you've got the lenders and the borrowers, you've got agents, you've got attorneys, you've got insurers. There's so many more parties that they can bring onto this network over time um, and really automate and digitize it um, make it a much more uh, uh, efficient process, removing a lot of the human um, uh, uh, checking and paper-based records and all those sort of things. So it will not happen quickly. Um, it will take you know many years, if not decades, to really get to the end goal that they're they're aspiring for. But they've stitched together the most comprehensive suite end-to-end -to, -end to address that problem at the moment. Um, and they've got real first mover advantages. You know, there's no one else doing this that can offer this. And that's the beautiful thing about these network effects is more and more people come onto the network, it will just get stronger and stronger and make it harder for someone else to come in and compete with them. And they've already got the, the head start by quite a meaningful degree. So, you know, there's, there's a really exciting opportunity for them in this industry over the coming years and coming decades. And if we remove Bitcoin from the conversation, but just talk more broadly about blockchain technology and the ability for that to disrupt middlemen, which ICE technically is, how do you see that playing out for the future of exchanges or even you know, some of the issues that mortgage origination businesses face and, and the potential for smart contracts? Do you see blockchain technology being either irrelevant? Do you see it as an opportunity for ICE or do you see it as a potential risk, not today, but in in 10 to 15 year time, years time where, where they too could be disrupted, like much like they, they have with analog markets and, and digitizing them? Yeah, it, it's such an important question, Chris. And it's, and it's both, you know, we've, we recognize the opportunity and they do too, you know, in conversations with the management team, they, they understand the opportunity um, within that sort of blockchain space and how that can be applied to various parts of their business, not just mortgage technology, but into their exchanges business as well. Um, but they're also cognizant, as are we, around the potential disruption threats that you, that you rightly identified. And, it, and it'll be incumbent on us going forward um, to keep monitoring the risk from these decentralized networks like, like blockchain going forward, which could replace some of the centralized 
uh, networks that we've just been discussing, whether it's the exchanges piece, the clearing piece, the mortgage technology piece, there is a disruption threat. Um, ICE management are well aware of this, that they are cognizant, they're making sure they should be on the winning side of it, but yeah. we can't be asleep at the wheel either and recognise that that is a potential risk for the business over time. And that must give you comfort as an investor does it when you speak to a company and they're not only aware but looking for opportunities in that space. Historically, it's companies that go to war with disruptive technologies that are the ones that, that usually come off far worse for wear. 100%. And we see that, you know, we, we see that across not just this business, but, but so many businesses and industries um, that we've looked at over time. I mean, disruption has been something that we have consistently, Magellan, tried to be on the winning side of um, because it's just, it's, it's just such a tough place to be. If at the end of the day, you're uh, trying to generate compounding returns for clients, you need to be sort of surfing those waves um, of the disruptors and not trying to you know, paddle upstream in a business that's being disrupted. So it doesn't mean we'll always get it right, but it's certainly one of our very uh, core focuses on the, the research side of Magellan is making sure we're on the right side of those disruption uh, dynamics in various industries over time. It's a good place to finish it, mate. At uh, $60 billion, it's a little bit big for the Judd Family Trust. The big numbers tend to, to get me a little bit confused, but I, I love sitting down and you are and you paint a really clear and, and enticing picture for, for people looking at stocks at, at that scale. So thanks so much for the time, mate. Really appreciate it. Anytime, Chris. Great to see you. Cheers. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.